Revelation 2 to the church of Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. You have preserved and have endured hardships in my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nickelodeons, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We have our sermon as a letter to Ephesus. Do you remember at school or why you're at school now of the way to set out various documents? There's a style guide for how to arrange the correct order of grammar, sentences, paragraphs, conclusions and an introduction. Follow that and you receive extra marks. And I know that uh, when I was working with Wade on the the book Beyond the Furthest Fences that uh, we went through lots of style guides and sort of made up our own so the book was consistent from the front to back. Now in Revelation there are seven letters and each one's arranged in the same format. It's a structured with the address of who it's to like the angel of the church at the town followed by who it's from. They are all from Jesus but in each case Jesus makes himself known in terms of reference given in Revelation. In chapter 1 to Ephesus, Jesus is introduced as one who walks among the churches holding the seven stars in his hand. To Smyrna, Jesus is introduced as the first and the last. Next, each letter moves into what Jesus knows about each church. In five of them, Jesus knows their works. Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea, while in Smyrna, Jesus knows their tribulation. And finally, in Pergamum, Jesus knows where they dwell. Each list is different as each one has its own issues and personality. There is no difference to the three, there is no difference to the three churches of Northern Lakes. Each one has its own issues and personality. It would be interesting to see what Jesus would say about each of us. As we go through these letters, each one of us will be convicted of attitudes or, com- or comforted with assurance of the state of our churches. Jesus' knowledge about each church allows him to highlight deficiencies and attitudes that are less than satisfactory. For some, it's a lack of love, while for others, it's a lack of discernment. On each case, there is a call for repentance. This is the same for each of us. When we hear a truth that highlights an attitude or action that falls short of God, we must seek to repent from it forthwith. Finally, each letter finishes with a promise for those who pursue Christ with all vigour.
one who walks among the lampstands. Christ writes these letters as one who walks amongst the churches, where the churches are pictured as lampstands. The description of the churches as a lampstand is drawn from visionary symbols of the first chapter and before that of Zechariah 4, 2-6 and the early description of the tabernacle lampstand in Numbers 8 and Exodus 25. From these passages come the idea that the churches are the mit, the light of God, the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, Zechariah's message is not by might nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The church is meant to be a community in which the presence of God shines. In Exodus 25, the lampstand with seven lamps on it is mentioned after the bread of presence in the tabernacle. This is, signifies the presence of God. For the early church whose practices would have been found in similar background, the description of the churches as lampstands was all too clear. Jesus is said to be one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The stars are angels in 120. Best understood as angels or guardians who function, it is to watch over the churches and protect it. One commentator suggests the following. Perhaps it's our worldliness that prevents us from accepting this interpretation. Why should it be difficult for us to think of angels protecting the church in a corporate sense just as they do individuals, as in Hebrews 1.14. In the midst of these lampstands, Jesus now walks. Some shine more clearly than others, and there are some whose light is fading. In response, Jesus comes with a word from the Lord, the words of him, literally. Thus says a typical Old Testament formula of divine speech and authority. When the Lord speaks, we are meant to listen. And as Derek Thomas said in his commentary, these letters are in effect, in effect seven visions, visions of what the church on earth is like through the centuries. Yes, there are seven cities with churches. The cities are located in what is known as Turkey today. The first one is Ephesus and is the major of the cities of that time. The following cities are located in a clockwise pattern from Ephesus. Ephesus. Today we look at the letter to Ephesus. Ephesus is the closest city to the island of Patmos, where John was when Christ unveiled his testimony. The Ephesus church was planted by Paul and pastored by Timothy. It was where Aquila, Priscilla and Apollos laboured, and when John preached, and where John preached in his old age. Ephesus was a ace of emperor worship with various temples built to honour emperors. It was the centre of trade routes. Upon Paul's leaving Ephesus in Acts 19, Paul charged the elders to be on guard against false teachers and prophets. It is encouraging that when Christ wrote to Ephesus, it was known for your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. It seems that the elders follow the apostles' instructions closely. Surely these are qualities worth pursuing in any church. The Ephesians are commended for the way they toiled for the Lord. They may be busy in lives, but it does not prevent them from toiling for the Lord. Now Matthew Henry makes this invaluable comment. Christ keeps an account of every day's work and every hour's work his servants do for him, 
and their labour shall not be in vain in the Lord. If this was a commendation for them, would we receive the same? Are we so busy in life that we have no time for God? They were commended for their patient endurance, despite all the pressures of Rome and all the tactics of sinful employers to restrict their movements, they endured these for Christ. They had not yielded to the pressure to conform. They had stood firm, enduring the cross that came in the wake of their bold testimony. Derek Thomas says, Derek Thomas said that. Now, uh, Miles, Miles remembers as a teenager, he was on the roster to mow the lawns at church. That meant that he needed to be in the church grounds to do that. But there were times when he struggled because someone might see him and tell him that he's not normal in their eyes at least, not normal that he goes to church. You see, we need to be bold for Christ. We need to get out from under the table and let people know of the hope that we have in Christ. We are commended by Christ for that. It's not always easy to do, but... um, We need to make that effort. Understanding who God is and applying that in our lives is all important. Thus, the Ephesians are commended for their excellent knowledge and application of God. They are equally commended for their hatred of the Nickelodeons. Who were were the Nickelodeons? There are several views. Some consider them as Gnostics, which have a belief that separates the body from the soul. Or others consider that it could be the Nicolaus mentioned in Acts 6.5. Whoever or whatever they were, they were false teachers, which Paul had warned them about, who would come in and try to destroy and scatter the congregation. So how do we become excellent at knowing God and applying his word? A great way is through Bible studies and spending time together, letting the word sort us out. Spend time doing this together we are commended for it the deficiencies or attitude that fell short of the mark was one of love or the abandoning the first love that you had at first abandoning is an extreme word that people use when desperate measures are thought of abandoned ship is a pipe that means a ship is not able to be saved and all must leave but this is not a ship in distress that they are abandoning him it's the first love that they had when they first came to the Lord. They've abandoned the warmth of the flame of God with the coolness of formality. They'd abandoned their first love, which inspired them to love their neighbours. A lack of love for the Lord produces a lack of love for people. They were quick to judge and very slow to help. They were swift to point out where someone lacked formality, but slow to demonstrate the warmth of companionship. Church has become a process, and God was the CEO of their factory. Busyness with others' loves have crowded out their first love. And how about some self-assessment? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your love for the Lord? In considering this, what priorities do you place before God? How much does God mean to you? In considering your answer, how will you move your answer from where it is to being closer to 10? For the Ephesians, the word was repent. 
Now, what does that mean? It means that God is serious about you and you need to change your life quick, smart, and to be serious about him. One way of addressing this is to take each day and make time for your quiet time and reflection. Set apart time throughout the day for prayer and reflecting on God's word. If there is a time for a Bible study that you cannot make, then rearrange your day so you can. Where there are opportunities to serve the Lord in practical way, grasp them. I know myself I'm guilty of uh, not being too high on the 1 to 10 number on a number of those. The outcome of repentance is a life that focuses on the first love of our lives. God, this is Jesus' word to us today. Now each letter ends with a formula. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. In this case, it's followed by a promise. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The allusion is to Genesis. It stands that a faithful Christian living promises a restoration to an enjoyment of Eden, which is paradise. It is God's intention to bring us to the promised new creation, to the place where we can dwell with God and experience no sin, no tears, no pain, no illness, no cancer, there'll be no emergency or A&E departments because there'll be no hospital. There'll be no traffic accidents, no suicides, no political disruptions. There'll be no blackmail, no bribery, and definitely no bad language. God intends through his son, Jesus Christ, to bring his people in circumstances more blissful than can ever be imagined. This is the Bible's way of expressing the inexpressible. Now that's our end point, but today we need to keep our first love as our first love. Amen. We've got our last hymn, which is 455.